Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have shared together here this morning. How refreshing it is to behold Jesus. I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks now, about beholding Jesus and beholding who He is and what He's done for us, and what a joy it is to just testify personally together to the wonder of singing. This is not just a bunch of facts on a page that we have learned. This is our story. This is our song, and that we live to magnify the Lord and to make Him known. And what an enjoyment it has been so far this morning. So I invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 20 as we continue our uh, short sermon series through Beholding Jesus. We've talked about Jesus on the cross. We've seen the wonder of who He is and how He has displayed that even while on the cross. He's displayed who He is. He has displayed the meaning of His mission. We have seen what He has accomplished in declaring It is finished. We have seen how He has died in our place, how He has fulfilled prophecy, how He has been buried, and praise be to God, we celebrated last week, Jesus is risen. He lives. And as we think about celebrating Easter and celebrating the resurrection and celebrating the wonder of who He is, this is not something that we do once a year. This is something we do all the time. We celebrate the reality that Jesus lives all the time. And so I wonder as we gather here today and as we take this time to spend some time in God's Word in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, even as we're thinking along those lines, I wonder what expectations you brought with you as you walked in here this morning. Is it just another Sunday? Is it just not Easter, right? It's just another one of those Sundays where we gather together and you do what you do and you sort of get what you get and you think, I've got the routine down and I've got the pattern down and I'll figure it out and I know what's coming and that sort of thing. Or have we come expectantly before Jesus who lives? It's not as though we just think about that in Easter and be like, okay, that's amazing, and then we move on. No, we just behold Him and we can't get enough of it. So may the Holy Spirit capture our attention, capture our affection as we take our eyes and focus in on Scripture and behold Jesus yet again, the resurrected personal Savior. Read with me, if you will, in John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. And like I said, we'll read down through verse 18. And this is what we read. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, stir in our hearts a great expectation of you. 
May the joy of our worship, the worship that we have had from the moment we sang the first note, but even more than that, the worship that we've had when we first fellowshiped together here this morning, the worship that has permeated everything from the offering into our time of prayer, into our time of worship and singing your praises, into this time of worship now, Father, we behold Jesus. Stir in our hearts a great expectation of what it means to know Jesus as the personal, resurrected Savior. Increase our affection. Increase our devotion. And Father, open our eyes to rejoice together. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for His glory. Amen. So as we come back into this passage, of course, it still feels very much like Easter because it still is, as we would think of it, the first resurrection morning here. And so Peter and John have already gone their merry way. They've gone back to their homes. And so Mary is back at the tomb, and we're told very plainly in verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Here she is just overwhelmed. She's just come to this moment, and she's looking for the body of Jesus, and all she can think of is, this is not what I was expecting. This has not turned out how I wanted it to turn out. This is not how I wanted this morning to go. She had so desired to honor Jesus in his death that she can't get over the fact that she can't find where he is. And as she's weeping, She stoops to look into the tomb. So it's like through her tears and through her sorrow, she's still curious. I'm going to look again. Isn't it interesting that's the exact same thing that we do whenever we lose something? We go ransacking the house, looking for it, digging in all all sorts of places, and then when we don't find it, what do we do? We're like, I'm going to go to the first place that I looked. And I'm going to go back to that place and maybe, maybe I just overlooked it and I didn't see it. And I'm going to have this moment where there it is. I found what I'm looking for. And so she stoops to look into the tomb. And she has this very unexpected surprise. She saw two angels in white. Sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Clearly they're sitting in a place where his body's obviously not there. Neither one of these two guys are Jesus, so what is going on? And we see these two angels dressed in white, clothed in purity. In reading the parallel text in the Gospels, the angels are described as being dressed in lightning. Just the brilliance of the display. And yet Mary here, distraught and overcome in her own sorrow, doesn't even care that the angels are in there. Other than the fact of, you are not who I'm looking for. She's looking for the body of Jesus. And see, here we find this realization that we can miss the most exciting truths when we are determined to find what you think you want. Looking in there and saying, you're not what I'm looking for. And they're looking at her and be like, I know that, right? But here she's come with all these expectations. She's determined to find a corpse. Determined to find what she expected. 
And could it be here that her expectations were way off? What about us this morning? Who do we expect to find here today? Because this is about way more than us just shaking hands and singing a few songs together. It's about Jesus. Who is it that we expect to meet here today? And so here, the angels look at her as they, you know, catch her eye and see her looking down in there. They say, they said to her, verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And as we read the address here, when they say woman, right, they're not being disrespectful. They're actually, if, if we wanted to translate it another way, we could say this like, ma'am. They're using a word that's intentionally respectful towards her. Getting her attention. Ma'am, why are you weeping? It's like they're challenging her expectations right here. You're looking for a corpse and you found nothing and you're upset about that? Why are you weeping? And you can almost see the grin on these angelic faces, right? Because these angels had the joy of watching people come to grips with the reality of the truth, that he's alive, that he lives. They knew it. I mean, we love to see it when people sort of make the connections in their own mind, when they finally get it, so to speak, and they get to enjoy what we already enjoy. That's what's so fun about dad jokes, right? Even when they roll their eyes, we're like, you got it, though. What we see here is that the reaction illustrates that she's completely misunderstood the facts. Woman, why are you weeping? Full atonement has been made. Forgiveness of sins. Justification is accomplished. The agent of all creation is the firstborn from the dead. He who breathes life into our lives breathes again. That the shepherd king who laid down his life for his sheep is the mighty conqueror who conquered our sin and death. Why are you weeping? Why are you acting like Jesus is dead? Are we? What about us? Have we come to just simply sort of honor him a little and nothing more? Or are we expecting an encounter with the living Christ, with the living Savior? Are we here ready to have our expectations challenged? Because she looks at them and says, look, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. She says the exact same thing that she said to Peter and to John. It's like she's looking at these guys being like, look, I'm going to find the body. And the fact is, she's, she is going to find a body, just not a dead one. We see here how easy it is to fail to see the truth when you're looking for what you already expect. When you think so shallowly and you're looking down here and he, here he is right in front of our faces and we're looking at the ground, it's like, I don't see him. Where is he? He's here. He's alive. Mary is sorrowfully unaware that Jesus lives. Jesus. 
That's where much of society finds itself even to this very day, isn't it? Sorrowfully unaware that Jesus died and rose again, that there's reconciliation with the holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is hope and forgiveness and everlasting life. So Mary is here determined to get her hands on a body, and she had no idea she was about to receive living hope. May the same thing happen in our hearts today. Because having said this, having repeated this refrain again to the angels, it says, having said this, excuse me, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She looked right at Jesus, bodily resurrected, standing in front of her, and she didn't see him. Now we read this and we're like, what? But see, it's not as implausible as we think. Because I know last week, many of us got dressed up in clothes that you never wear. Right? You wore your Easter best, right? You had all sorts of strange colors that you hid in the back of your closet as soon as you got home from church last week. Wearing coats and this, that, and the other, all sorts of patterns and this. And so when you walked in the door here, people didn't even recognize you when you walked in there. They may have known you for 50 years and like, who is that? And like, oh man, his wife made him wear that. She finally got him to shave. People looked right at you, didn't even recognize you. Because it didn't meet what they expected. That's exactly what's going on right here. Jesus is not stolen. Jesus is not missing. Jesus is right in front of her. Standing up. And I love reading through the Gospel of John. Just all these simple evidences of life. Right? We talked about the folded laundry. And here we have another one. Jesus is standing up. Right in front of her. And what's amazing, you just feel the kindness and compassion and care of Jesus here as well. Because he's not put off by you not seeing. He's the one who gives sight to the blind. He's the one who opens our eyes to see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's the one who meets us in the midst of our sorrows and questions our unbelief. Because he looks at her and says, woman, why are you weeping? It's the same question. And I don't know, maybe she's like us when we hear the same question over and over again. We're like, you're asking me this again? But then he follows it up. Whom are you seeking? This is the question now, isn't it? Whom are you seeking? Could it be that you're looking for someone that you have woefully underestimated? Looking for somebody just to sort of, I don't know, teach you how to make a couple of bucks. Someone to just sort of pat you on the back, maybe go home with a nice saying. Or the one who transforms your entire life. Where you're born again. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift of God and yet it's an inside out work of God. And it's amazing. Your whole life is transformed. Your soul is saved. 
Whom are you seeking? And we see how personal this really is. That the Savior who saves us from sin, who leads us and guides us and grows us by his Spirit, what expectations do you bring before him today? Whom are you seeking? Because it's easy for us to gather together and come to church and do the church thing and expect from Jesus about what we expect from the dead, which is nothing. It's easy for us to do that. Do we come expecting to see signs of life? Where grace is poured out, where hearts are comforted, where needs are met, where love is known and received, where rescue takes place and there's redemption. Behold him, the resurrected personal Savior who died on the cross for your sin, who bore the full outpouring of the wrath of God against your sin, who rose from the dead so that we may have forgiveness and everlasting life and justification with the Father. Don't you see the goodness of Jesus here looking you square in the face and questioning your unbelief? Whom are you seeking? Do you see? And at this point in the middle of verse 15, still, she doesn't see, does she? Supposing him to be the gardener, She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is standing in front of her, and she thinks he's the guy who cuts the grass. He's the guy here in this garden pulling the weeds. Look, man. Just tell me. She has mistaken him again for someone else. And I wonder if that meets you right where you are this morning. Mistaken him for just some guy who had some wise things to say. For just some guy who seemed like he laid out a good example. We still not see the truth. Still pleading, just give me the body. If you have them, just give them back. It's like she's treasuring the memory of him. And as we read this, aren't you glad that Jesus gives us more than we could ask or imagine? She's like, just give me his body, man. Just give me his corpse. That's all I want and I'll leave you alone. She's determined to honor Jesus, but she doesn't yet realize that it doesn't honor Jesus to act like he's dead. He's alive. He lives. There's living hope. There's joy and peace. And to the degree that when you're saved by grace through faith in him, that you can know that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And that his grace is sufficient for you, for his power is made perfect in your weakness, and his steadfast love really does endure forever, and he still calls people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And all that's necessary... It's this personal call of the living Savior and living Lord. And it only takes one word. This is how mighty our Jesus is. 
Look at how good he is. Look at how personal he is. She's saying, just give me your corpse. And he looks at her. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. He just called her by name. That's all it took. Behold our resurrected personal Savior who calls by name. You gotta imagine in her mind, she would have heard him articulate the syllables that make up her own name who knows how many times. And how startling a moment. And yet it was all that was needed to move from hopeless to hopeful, to move from worry to worship. This is how Jesus works. This is, in fact, exactly what he told us he would do in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 10, verse 3, he says, The sheep hear his voice. Speaking of himself as a good shepherd, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He says later on in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He's done exactly what he said he would do. Now, nothing will get your attention more than your own name. That's why when you were sitting in that elementary school class, and you were sitting there, and you were minding your own business, and you heard your name come over that intercom, you started to freak out a little. That's why when you're, you know, I remember parents in the grocery store back in the day, and sometimes we would wander off a little, and then, of course, you would hear the person get on the little the horn in the grocery store and be like, uh, Mrs. Bennett, your son is over here on aisle six eating cereal, right? And you knew it was like, oh no, right? All you had to do is hear the name. And for, for you, all it takes for him to just completely unravel every doubt that you have, every sense of disbelief, one word, he calls you by name. You hear his voice, he knows your name, he calls you by name. He knew you before the foundation of the world of the world and loves you with a love that is stronger than death itself, and he lives. And you hear his voice, and he's alive, and it's true, and you're amazed. Here's Jesus, not angry at her skepticism, but neither is he hindered by it. Resurrected personal Savior. Have you heard his call? Not necessarily an audible voice, but a call nevertheless. Whereas so you know as, he, as he, you are broken over your own sin and the reality of, that own, of your brokenness in your own life and all the expressions of that and whatever that looks like and you hear him in the midst of the condemnation and the weight and the guilt, you hear him say, call you by name, TJ, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. By his word, through his spirit, he calls you. And as you lay in the unrighteousness of your own lusts and the pride of thinking that you are fine without him, with compassionate might, the living Lord calls you to repent and believe. 
And when you hear your name in the sovereign Savior's mouth and you hear him articulate the syllables that make up your name, you just can't help but respond. Suddenly the circumstances that robbed you of understanding fade and you just come to Jesus. She turns and says to him in in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She responded. She recognized him immediately. He's alive. Knew it was him. There's no mistaking it. She was looking for a corpse in the garden and the comforter came and found her. Who'd you come looking for today? Doesn't it amaze you to think that maybe you came looking for somebody way down here when the sovereign Savior is looking for you right now and he found you? And he's calling you. Whom are you seeking? Who did you expect to find? Behold, Jesus, the resurrected personal Savior. He's like, in, in this moment you think, well, now what? And Jesus says to her, verse 17, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, Jesus says, do not cling to me. He's not trying to, you know, shake her off, like, get off of me. He's saying, no, 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 there's something to do. Now is not the time for private enjoyment. Now is the time for public pronouncement. Don't hold on to the memory. There's so much to look forward to. Remember what I told you. I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers. He says, I've not yet ascended to to the Father, but he will soon. Because his earthly mission is finished. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He who is our propitiation, who endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, died, laid down his life, only to take it back up again, and he lives. He's victorious, and his ascension is crucial to our hope and salvation. This is not just some sort of, you know, thing that we throw out there. This is crucial. He is returning to the glory that he had before the foundation of the world, just as he prayed in John chapter 17, verse 5. Here he is. He's told his disciples repeatedly in John chapter 14. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He said in John chapter 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know what? That's exactly what happened. You read the rest of the Gospel of John, and you can just keep turning the pages, and you read in Acts, and all of a sudden you read in Acts chapter 1, and Jesus ascends into heaven, and he's enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And what's the next thing that you read? The coming of the Holy Spirit, the omnipresent Spirit of Jesus, so that we can know that he's comforting those on the other side of the world at the same time that he's comforting us as well, calling and teaching and guiding and leading and growing. He's saying, hey, don't hang on to me. The good news is about to get a whole lot better. Go to my brothers. Say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Time is short. So go announce what matters most. We love a good announcement, don't we? 
You get those things in the mail, and while you're throwing most of it away, right, you get the thing that's got your name written in the nice pretty cursive on there, and you open it up, and you're like, oh, wow, this is beautiful. And then you put it on the fridge. Tracking through social media, and you're reading all this sort of stuff, and we're scrolling through, and most of it we couldn't care less about. And no offense to anybody, but it's sort of like, I don't, you know, I'm glad you ate an egg McMuffin, but okay. But then you see the announcement, somebody's going to have a baby. You're like, oh, man, this is amazing. This is exciting. We get geared up about it. He's saying, look, go announce the good news. New life in Christ needs to be made known. Go say to my brothers, and this is the first time Jesus refers to the disciples as his brothers here in the Gospel of John. He says, go say to my brothers, say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father. Why say it that way? Because as he's enthroned and exalted and victorious, he's the reason we can say, my Father. He's the reason we can say, my God. We remember what Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so here we see how it's all connected, that it is finished and he has risen and he is enthroned. is all connected together that we would have living hope, clothed in the righteousness of Christ through faith in him, that he helps and comforts and gives us assurance to, your, to my God and to your God. The God that where he cried out from Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Acknowledging the fact that he was enduring the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. He says, look, it is finished. I'm going back to sit at his right hand, and because of what I've accomplished, you can come too. My God and your God, go and tell them. Sorrow has turned to joy. Our God lives. What now? Well, Mary does exactly what she was told to do. Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. She announced the truth that she had seen him. He is alive. He lives. It's worth mentioning. Do you see him by faith today? Has God opened your eyes to see the light of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? He who knows you, who has called you, who saves you, go and announce it. And understand that when you make announcements, you're going to get various reactions. That's, That's how it is. Go announce that he lives, that sin is forgiven in Christ. Life is assured in Christ. Grace is given in Christ. Mercy is enduring in Christ. Redemption is accomplished in Christ. Reconciliation is done in Christ. And salvation is yours in Christ. She went to go say, look, I've seen him and he's told me all these things. But isn't it amazing? This is the last time we meet Mary Magdalene in the New Testament. The last thing we're told of her is that she went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. How wonderful that the last mention of her name in the biblical text 
she's announcing Jesus lives. Would we be content to have this be the last thing said of us? Wouldn't that be an amazing testimony for your life? Mary's not an apostle. She's not a pastor. She's not a deacon. She's not a Sunday school teacher, but she's a witness. And in the end, we announce what we find most significant. And we can't say everything, but we all say something. Who are you announcing? with your life. When you look at your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and your friends, when you look at the ways in which you, maybe even you, you think of your hobbies and the things that you enjoy, are we using the things that we enjoy to point the, to the one who gives life? Amen. To announce the news to a world full of death and full of bad news that's aching for life, that death is defeated, sin is atoned, Forgiveness is offered. The Savior sought us in spite of our rebellion. Behold, Jesus, resurrected, personal Savior. Have you heard him call your name? Are you ready to live announcing he lives? I don't know what you came in here expecting today. But by God's grace, perhaps he has pierced the darkness of your own doubt. Where all of a sudden you see things as they really are. Not just that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that includes you. That as it's appointed a man wants to die and then comes to the judgment, you're faced with the reality that all you have to bring before a holy God is a bunch of filthy rags. You need new clothes. And you can't provide for yourself. And as you look down at the sad reality of the situation, all of a sudden you hear somebody call your name. And you lift your eyes to see. And you see the scars. And you see the joy. And you hear him call you. Trust him. Look to the one who lived in perfect righteousness, who was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, who went to the cross, who died in our place, who endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, who laid down his life, and who lives again. He's risen. He's looking at you now and saying, trust me. Trust him that in him there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Trust in him now that he's worth living your life to announce and to make known in every way in which he has placed you. Hear the voice of the Savior. Call your name and respond. Behold him, Jesus, a resurrected personal Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for Jesus. What an amazing text of Scripture. 
But God, we pray right now that the experience of the text of this scripture would not simply be that we read Mary's name in this, but as we do so, that your spirit would speak and call people to yourself. For the people who are here who have never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, who have never turned away from their sin and simply cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe. Father, in this moment now, by your Spirit and for the glory of your precious Son, stir in their hearts to trust you, to trust what you have provided, to believe on the one whom we have beheld. Father, for all of us in here, let's rejoice in the announcement that's been made and let us live to enjoy knowing Jesus, the personal, risen Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.